0: Hi, I'm Ruth Atkinson from the Contextual Safeguarding Network and I'm here with Janine Davis from the Centre of Expertise on Child Sexual Abuse. Today Janine going to be talking to us about her work at the Centre of Expertise and talking to us a bit about um, developing practice working with marginalised groups and also taking a trauma informed approach. So Janine, it's great to have you here, thanks for coming in to talk to us. Thank you for having me. No problem. So, um, first of all, could you tell us a bit about what you do at the Centre of Expertise and how your role sits within that? Of course. So the Centre of Expertise
1: was established in response to the high-profile CSA cases really to have a better understanding of the scalar nature of child sexual abuse in its broadest term. So rather you know, than focusing on specific strands of CSA such as CSE, HSB, it's really important that we have the biggest picture to better inform practice policy and research. Within the centre, we have knowledge and practice research and policy teams, and that's where I sit, which is within the knowledge and practice. Okay. So I'm a practice improvement advisor, and as a practice improvement advisor, we inform the centre of emerging practice, what works, good practice, as well as, at times, doing our own practice research really to identify existing gaps and why yep. those gaps exist. Mm-hmm. Now. Every practice improvement advisor will come with a specific area of expertise so we have education, health, social care, multi-agency, policing and then we have a practice improvement advisor for Wales. And then within our research team um, we support the research team really to ensure that I guess one, we recognise that practice is always ahead of research. So I think it's really important to ensure practice informs research just as much as research informs practice. Mm -hmm. And then obviously that then links into policy and the impact of policy changes in relation to practice and research. So it's all interlinked and I think that's what's great about the centre is that we have a space where we can access experts from all of those areas to really bring that shared learning together.
0: Great. Um, so, I understand at the moment that you're focusing on developing practice working with marginalised groups. It'd be great to hear about what that work looks like and how it's taking shape.
1: Yes. Um, so I guess, again, following on from those gaps which we recognise exist within research and practice, we understand that marginalised groups in particular is a very under-researched area. Mm-hmm. And the research that we have seen is quite fragmented. So we have decided to focus on this area really to better get an understanding of what are those needs, what are the challenges and complexities of marginalised groups. And I guess in order to do that, it was important that we had some kind of definition or statement, um, which actually became quite challenging Mm -hmm. because how do you define a marginalised group? And are we in the right space? Am I the right person to decide, well, you're marginalised and you're not? Um, so, to ensure we didn't, I guess, further marginalise those lesser heard voices, we decided to take the step of recognising marginalised groups within its different contexts. So, if you're thinking about young men as an example, well, if we look at men as a whole, are men marginalised in society? Possibly not. But are young men marginalised in relation to child sexual abuse? Then, yes, they are. Um, and also recognising the socio economic factors. So let's think about class, let's think about poverty, let's think about resources, etc. And how do all of those intersect with different characteristics such as race? So if you are black and you are disabled and you are gay, how does that impact on your experience, your autonomy, agency? Your ability to access services. So, I guess we've tried to be quite broad um, mm-hmm. rather than narrow it down. It's about, as I said, recognising a marginalised group depending on the context.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. And so, what does that mean in practice? Do you have any kind of reflections on what practitioners can be doing or the prior- priority areas that they should be thinking about?
1: Yes, I think. I think there are a number of questions we need to be asking ourselves as practitioners. Um, and also some things we need to, I guess, understand a bit better. I think we recognise as a whole that young people have limited access to internal resource and agency. Now, how do we understand what that may look like for those young people who have intersecting characteristics, multiple oppression? Um, what do those, do those experiences differ? Um, I think it's really important as practitioners to recognise direct and indirect oppressive behaviours, those microaggressions which we may not always identify but can certainly impact on um, how a young person or group may respond um, to help and support. One thing which we're looking to do is to deliver a number of consultation workshops across England and Wales, really trying to unpick what do services need what are the challenges they've identified have they identified any gaps how do they use reflective practice how do you engage with other services who might have specific knowledge in those areas do we engage with them enough so i guess we recognize it's it can't just come from the center in order For us to understand that we need to engage with a whole host of stakeholders, Mm -hmm. not just those who might have experience working with those specific groups, but actually with all from universal services to third sector and statutory. And then from that learning, we'll be delivering learning events. Um, and we'll be publishing our findings in addition to that we will be having our next round of PD scholarships our professional development scholarships which will go live in April so there will be a specific focus on marginalized groups Um, and I think again that will really provide a space for practitioners to just unpick it a bit more Mm. Um, I think if we know you know through research thinking about young people with disabilities we recognise that there are vulnerabilities there and those vulnerabilities may differ, but why do those vulnerabilities differ and how do services ensure that they're inclusive and not exclusive?
0: Excellent. Um, so yeah, there's all things that practitioners could be thinking about. Um, and I know I've, I've heard you speak before about the importance of taking a trauma-informed approach and I'm just wondering if you could tell us more about that and how that fits in.
1: Yes. I always grapple with the term trauma-informed approach okay. because I think it <laughs> each service might have its own definition or understanding of what a trauma informed approach is. I guess for me, when I think about something being trauma informed, especially in relation to marginalized groups, I think the first thing I would be asking practitioners to think about is what language are you using? And when I say language, does the language you use create barriers? So if we're saying a a group is hard to reach, actually, are they hard to reach? Is it that community who's hard to reach? Or is it the service, which is hard to reach? Is it the structures within the service, um, the policies, practices within those services? And again, when we're thinking about a trauma-informed response, let's think about moving away from the otherness, Mm -hmm. the consideration, the additional, because I think when we talk about groups as an other, we actually run the risk of further marginalizing those voices when actually, if a trauma-informed approach is to be successful, rather than seeing them as another, it's something which needs to be fully embedded within your services, within your policies, within your training. I think it's really important to question your own personal and professional biases. Mm -hmm. Do they impact on the way you support young people? What makes you feel uncomfortable? How often do you engage with reflective practice and ask questions if you don't understand something that's okay you know I think sometimes there's so much pressure on services to know it all and and you don't have to but what you do have to do is ask
0: so if practitioners are interested to kind of learn more or start to develop and embed trauma-informed approaches are there any resources or research that you could recommend Yes, well, I guess the first thing
1: I'd be saying is let's start reviewing the resources you currently have. I don't think we always need to create new resources. I think I would say let's look at your assessments and and tools. How do you ensure relational tools recognise the undisclosed biases or limited relationships between professionals and young people? Do we recognise the multiple layers of oppression a young person may have experienced, therefore may impact on how they engage with the service? Are your tools and resources reflective of your audience? Does the imagery reflect the people you're working with or do they reinforce stereotypes? Recognise that one size does not fit all. So again, are your resources inclusive? Are they exclusive? Are you using heteronormative language? Does the imagery portray a 2.4 family? Those subtle messages can make a difference. I guess thinking about training and development, you know, I would say to managers, make a commitment that all staff have up-to-date, high-quality, quality diversity training, and it, I guess it's more than the training, from that training, how do you ensure that training is, is embedded within your practice and does it impact on your practice? Mm-hmm. And again, I, I guess it would come back to how often do you have reflective practice? Do you have a space to speak to other staff, partners to really peer challenge your work and your approach? And as I said, it's recognised that you might not always understand, but oppressive behaviour can really present itself in a really subtle form, Mm -hmm. a form which you might not always recognise, but definitely your former young person will be able to identify with. So rather than focusing on specific pieces of research, I think sometimes we need to simplify it a bit more. Sometimes it isn't a case of saying, "Okay, let's pick up this book. Sometimes those questions just start with yourself, as I said question your biases, do you know what those biases look like? And if you do, what steps are you taking or what steps can you take to challenge yourself to ensure they do not impact on the way you engage with young people?
0: Thanks, Janine. That's really helpful and really insightful um, and certainly helping practitioners to think about um, key steps for developing their practice. So before we um, wrap up, are there any other thoughts or reflections that you have? on what we've been talking about today yes
1: we have to start somewhere mm-hmm. um, I would always just say it's okay not to know it's okay not to know everything um, as I said we have our professional development scholarships going live in April I think that would be a really good opportunity for practitioners to access further training and you know if, if you have an interest in practice research in this area please do apply um, we also have our centre conference coming up in May, and that will be hosted in England and Wales. Um, another opportunity to find out what's happening, because I think sometimes we, we can work inside, silos, so we only know what's happening in our local authority when there is, again, there's so much practice out there, and sometimes we run the risk of duplicating work, which has already been done. So this will be a good opportunity to really share and bring that learning together.
0: Thank you, Janine, and thanks for taking the time to come and talk to me today.